Welcome to Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. This episode of Fragmented is brought to you by Rollbar. With Rollbar, you can detect, diagnose, and defeat errors. If you're not familiar with Rollbar, let me take you on a quick journey. Have you ever run into that situation where you need to track an error from your Android app all the way back to the server? Have you ever tried to do that manually? Yeah, it's not that fun. It's about as fun as shoveling four feet of snow. I did that this winter, actually. Shoveling four feet of snow kind of sucks. Anyway, tracing an error from the app to the server is difficult, and if you don't have the tools to do it, well, it's nearly impossible in some instances. Trust me, I've tried. With Robart, you can track errors on your app as well as through the server code as well. It's super simple to set up, too. On average, it takes less than eight minutes to set up in your app. Existing customers for Rollbar include Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Instacart. Hey, Kaushik works there. Zendesk, Twitch, and, uh, and many, many more. Go to rollbar.com slash fragmented and you'll get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. This includes 300,000 errors tracked for free. Now, I sure hope you don't have 300,000 errors happening in your app. But anyway, that's a lot of errors. Wow. Anyway, that's rollbar.com slash fragmented. Okay, welcome back. Today we're going to talk about item number nine in Joshua Block's Effective Java Book. For those of you that have just joined us on our journey through the Effective Java Book and here on the Fragmented Podcast, uh, just to let you know, we are walking through in these little mini fragment episodes, we are talking about Joshua Block's Effective Java Book and we're going through each of the items and discussing them in kind of some detail and how it applies to us as Java developers. Uh, kind of an, in an Android world and apply any Android specifications or reasoning behind why it might be important. So let's go ahead and hop into number nine. Number nine says, always override hash code when you override equals. Uh, now, this is basically a general contract uh, in, for object.hash code. So anytime you override equals method, you should be overriding the hash code as well. And failure to do so uh, is basically a violation of the general contract of object.hash code. And it basically prevents your class from functioning properly uh, in conjunction with all hashed-based collections like hash map, hash set, hash table. So if you're using a, a hash map, a hash set, or hash table, and I pretty much guarantee that you are in your code somewhere, uh, you need to make sure that you're overriding hash code so you get the proper uh, semantics involved with those different data structures. Now, there is a specification from Java Standard Edition 6 here that we'll, we'll talk about here. Uh, there's three items, and, and the first item basically says for the object.hash code is it must consistently return the same integer if it's executed. You know, we have an object, and you say you call get hash code many times during the execution of your application, and it's the same object. It should return the same integer every single time. The second one is uh, if two objects are equals according to the equals method, which will be covered in item number eight. Remember, that was one of the previous episodes here. Item number eight is a very in-depth uh, talk about how to implement the equals method. So if two objects are equals according to the equals method, then calling the hash code method on those two objects must produce the same integer result. So the hash code method must return a integer of the same value. So if I have two person objects, they're both Don Felker and both of them, and the equals method says, hey, yep, both of these objects are equal to each other, then the hash code method should return the same integer. So it should return an integer. We could just say positive one and that's it, good to go. Now it could be any integer. It could be 9,999, whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter. It just needs to return the same integer. 
Now the next one, the last one here, number three is a little bit confusing and I'm gonna read it as it's stated in the specification and then we'll talk about it here in a second. The specification says, it is not required that if two objects are unequal according to the equals object method, then calling the hash code method on each of the two objects must provide distinct integer results. However, the programmer should be aware that producing distinct integer results for unequal objects may improve the performance of hash tables. So basically it's saying, look, if there's if the equals method has been overridden and the equals method determines that two objects are not equal, the specification says that, well, the hash code doesn't have to be distinct. They don't have to be different. But you probably do want to make it distinct. You probably do want to make those integers different because producing distinct integer results uh, in those unequal objects will improve the performance of the hash tables and those types of data structures. So what we're really getting at here is that if you override the equals method and objects are considered equal, then the hash code must be implemented as well and the integer values must match as well. So it must return equal values as well. As well. So equals object must have equal hash code. Okay, now let's talk about an example here. Let's assume you've created an object that stores social security numbers, right? It's got the, you know, the three digits, two digits, and three digits again, or excuse me, four digits at the end. Uh, you'll just call this social security number. And you want to put this in a map. And the map is going to have the key type is going to be the social security number. And the value will just be a string and we'll call it a name. And so follow along if you can in, in, in the code. But you're going to want to take a look at the book just to get some, some understanding uh, of where the error might happen. But let's assume we've implemented that. We've implemented the equals method, and the equals method just kind of checks to make sure that the beginning, the middle, and the end of the social security number are the same, uh, and then it returns it. But we, for some reason, we forgot to implement the hash code. Happens all the time, we just forgot to do it. Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna stuff this uh, social security number inside of a hash map. So we say map social security number, comma, string, which is gonna be the name, equals new, hash map, social security number, and comma string is the, is the type for the value. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, inside of, I wanna put a new social security number inside of this map, and I'm gonna say map.put, new social security number, provide some, you know, some digits, comma, the name will say Dawn, and then we close it out. So now I've put a new record inside of a new item in this hash map. And so we have one object and the value equates to Dawn. Now, if at this point, if I were to say map.get, and of course map.get needs an object to be able to, to determine if it has that object in there, I'd pass in a new social security number instance. I'd say new social security number, and I pass in the same digits that I passed in before. So that being the same social security number, what would you expect would happen? Uh, most likely you'd expect the value that be returned would be Dawn. Well, but it actually, in this case, is going to return null. And the reason why that it's going to return null is because one is used for insertion in the hat map, and the second one, uh, the instance we're trying to use for retrieval, uh, has failed to override hash codes. So the two equal instances have completely unequal hash codes. And so the hash map is saying, well, it treats these uh, as different objects. So again, it's in violation of the hash code contract that we just talked about previously. Uh, so what's going to happen is the hash map is going to look for the, the social security number in a different hash bucket from the one that it was stored in by the original put method, even though the instances happen to be equal according to the equals method. Now, the hash map has an internal optimization that caches the hash code associated with each entry, and it doesn't bother checking for any object equality if the hash codes don't 
match. Make sense? So if we don't override hash codes, we stuff stuff into a map, uh, we're not going to get the equality checking inside of a map that we've had before. And I can tell you what, I've ran into this problem many times, banged my head against the wall, like why are my objects not coming out of the map? I am giving it the same one, it's not working. Uh, it's because I didn't override hash code. Uh, and unfortunately, it was one of those things I didn't realize until I started Googling around and ran into it on Stack Overflow. So now fixing the problem is pretty easy. All we have to do is implement hash code uh, on the number class. Now, you could do this pretty easily. You can write a very a correct hash code, very trivial one, uh, but it's also could be very error prone. For example, you could just say, hey, uh, hash code return 42. Let's return an integer. So you could do that. Quick side note, do you happen to know why you always see the number 42 everywhere? So just in case you have it, the number 42 is in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. It's a book. It's a very popular book uh, among sci-fi and, and tech crowd. And basically, it's the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. And it's calculated by this, this computer named Deep Thought, and it's supposedly been calculating it for millions of years and so forth. And basically, the answer to life and everything of, uh, in that nature is 42. So it's kind of like this internal joke when you see 42 in code. It's like someone's age or the returning of value or the price of something. Uh, it's kind of a throwback to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. So just a quick little tech tidbit there. So again, we're overriding the hash code. We're returning the number 42. Now, uh, this is, it's, it's legal, uh, but it's uh, one that you probably should never use. Now, it's legal because we're just returning a, an integer, and that's what we should be doing. And But the problem with it is, is every single social security number object that we create uh, is going to be equal to itself according to this hash code. So if we put them inside of a map, uh, there will only be one inside that map because the hash code is going to see that there's already one in there with that hash code. So every object uh, needs to have a different hash code to make sure that it's unique. So again, kind of following back to that contract, if it equals the equals methods, uh, if the equals method says that an object is equal, then the hash code must also be equal. So, well, how do we implement a good hash code? That's a good question. Now, a good hash code usually produces unequal hash codes for unequal objects. Kind of self-explanatory, but this can kind of get kind of complicated over time because you have all these different fields and different rules and so forth. Now, it can be difficult to implement, but... There is a simple recipe you can follow, and thankfully, Joshua has included one here in the book. So I'm going to kind of walk you through it here. It's kind of confusing because you're not looking at the code. You're just listening to me talk about code, which is really kind of meta. But anyway, what you need to do is uh, store some constant non-zero value, say like, you know, 17 in a, in a, in a variable, you know, call it like result or whatever you want to call it. And then for each, you know, significant field that's inside of your object, you know, and you should take that into account and decide what is significant versus non-significant by what you're using in the equals method. So if you're only using the, you know, social security number, you're only using those three fields, then you should only use probably those three fields to help calculate your hash code. You don't need to include something arbitrary, anything else. Now there's a couple steps here for each int value. Compute an int hash code for the code C for the field. So... Basically, if the field is a Boolean, you, uh, Boolean, you want to say, uh, if it's true, return a 1, otherwise return 0. If the field is a byte, char, short, or int, you want to just return the integer value. If it's a long, you're going to want to do a little bit shifting here uh, and produce an integer value. If it's a float, you want to do float to int bits. You pass in the float value, and it'll give you the integer bits for that. If it's a double, you want to do double dot double to long bits. 
uh, and so forth. And then the resulting hash will be you know, kind of a longer number. Now, if the field you're gonna be using is an object reference, then you're gonna to wanna to use that class's equals methods and recursively start invoking the equals methods uh, to calculate the hash code. Now, if there's a more complex comparison required, Joshua says you can compute a canonical representation for the field and evoke the hash code of the canonical representation. So, for example, if the value of the field is null, then return zero or other constant, but zero is type of traditional. Maybe the field is an array. You could treat each element as if, as if it were a separate field. You could do that uh, and so forth. So there's a bunch of different options here. And then what you need to do is combine the hash code that was computed in the previous step into a result that follows. So, for example, take you know 31 times the result plus the original value, uh, the calculated value of C. And that is gonna be your calculated hash code that should be unique to each an individual object that does not, that equals, or excuse me, does not equal each other. Now, so how do you know this works? Well, the best way, uh, as usual, is to write unit tests to ver verify your intuition. So create a vast unit test suite around this to verify that if an object is equal, the hash code equals. If it's unequal, the hash codes are unequal. And make sure that that's the case. And if it's not, well, then at least you have some tests backing it up and you can figure it out until you get it right. Now, there are some caveats, of course. You want to maybe exclude some redundant fields from your hash code computation. So if the field can be calculated based upon other fields, then you can go ahead and ignore it. Uh, maybe any non-zero fields you can go ahead and ignore uh, as well, and so forth. One final final thing here. When we talked about creating that final hash code and returning that result, there was something I had said in there. I said 31 times the result plus the computed value. Now, the multiplication that we did in that step makes the result depend on the order of certain fields. Now, that yields for a much better like hash function and, uh, and, and so forth. Now, but if the multiplication was omitted uh, from this hash function, all anagrams would have an identical hash code. And the value 31 was chosen because it's an odd prime. And if it were even the multiplication overflow, and if the multiplication overflowed, uh, some information technically could be lost uh, as multiplication by two is equivalent to shifting bits. So the, the advantage to using the prime, of course, is a, a little less clear, but it is traditional. Uh, and a nice property of the value 31 is that the multiplication can be replaced by a shift and a subtraction for better performance. And so he outlined some code here, like 31 times i equals equals i shifting uh, left to the 5 minus 1. So various, and he states here, modest, modern virtual machines do this sort of optimization for you automatically. And so this is how you can kind of write a kind of a robust hash code algorithm. Another consideration to make is if for some reason calculating your hash code, it takes a significant amount of processing time, and this is something that you would want to measure, uh, don't be premature about it and, and try to optimize something if you know that it's not a bottleneck. Uh, you might want to consider using a caching your hash code instead of recalculating it each time that you do it. And on that same token, don't be tempted to exclude like certain significant parts of your object from the hash code be just to improve performance because you think that, well, this is too slow. Uh, just go ahead and cache it. It's not that that big of a deal. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna do it once, and if you want your maps to work correctly, this is something that you're gonna want to implement the first time correctly. And that pretty much wraps it up for item number nine today. So just kind of recap here again from the top is item number nine is always override hash code when you override equals. And when you override equals, and if two objects are equal, then the hash code should be equal as well. So if two person objects, both called Don Felker, 
are considered equal according to the equals method, then the hash code should return the same integer value. This hash code should be generated based upon significant fields inside of your, your model. And so it could be like the first name, the last name, social security number, all these significant fields should help you calculate your hash code. How do you find those significant fields? Take a look at your equals method. Anything that you're using inside of the equals method should probably be used for your hash code calculation. Then you need to walk through each of your different types of calculations. If they're, you know, value types, you should be doing certain computations as stated inside of effective Java, the effective Java book. If they are references, you'll want to hop into the hash code implementation for those and possibly recursively walk the object graph to get the proper hash code for your application, if it is a significant field. If it's not, then don't worry about it. And that kind of covers the basics here. Now, there's a lot of code that's some bit shifting and stuff like that for item number nine. I highly recommend that you, again, get the book Effective Java. Some people think that it might be a little pricey. Hey, it's $30 or whatever the price might be at this time on Amazon. It, it ranges a couple weeks ago. It was on sale for like 12 bucks. You can kind of throw a watch on it and, and see when the price goes down. But regardless, uh, it's a small investment for the quality of the code that you're going to write in your career. Uh, and even if you save yourself one hour from not from preventing a bug or you fix a bug because you bought the book, uh, it immediately pays for itself and everything else you're going to get out of it is going to be gravy. So definitely check out the book, uh, Effective Java, second edition. So until next time, guys, thanks a lot. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Rollbar. With Rollbar, you get the context, insights, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster. Go to rollbar.com slash fragmented to get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. Again, that's rollbar.com slash fragmented.